thank God for his strength. I thank God for um, just his power and for his authority in all circumstances. You know? I know in my own life when I become overwhelmed and um, stressed out, it's because I'm forgetting what he's done and who he is and how he moves. And I find myself too, it's what does me so much good is when I actually shift back and start just thinking about, even I go back as far as I can remember and I, I start thanking him for, for what he's done. And it's amazing when I start doing that, it triggers the other memories of what he has done. And then before long, when I start thanking him, more and more memories come flooding back to me. And it's interesting how in the middle of your storm, how, how you can have peace and you can realize, man, the God who never failed me is not going to fail me now. And even though we are faithless and unfaithful, he is always faithful. And that's the God that loves us. Um, that's the God that carries me through my storms. And that's the God that carries us through our storms. Well, Jesus, we just thank you. God, that in spite of every mountain and every trial, God, you and you alone are in authority. God, that you hold all things in your hands, and we are grateful. God, we just pray this morning that, that this time of service would be honoring to you. God, that your name would be glorified. God, that we would hear from you. God, that we would allow your words to penetrate our hearts and to transform our minds and our actions and our lives, that our lives would truly glorify your name and truly build your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to read to you from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. For the, the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about fellowship. We've been preaching about purpose and how God has purpose for each one of us. But part of this purpose for us is that we live in fellowship together. Uh, that we really experience community and, and fellowship is something that... that that how we've defined fellowship over the years has changed and really kind of lost its biblical meaning in the way that we carry it out. And so this morning, I'm going to kind of give you a, a general idea of where we're going. And the next Sunday, I'm going to talk about fellowship with God, and then we're going to talk about fellowship with the gospel, and then we're going to talk about fellowship with one another. And I really believe that, honestly, that if we will allow God to talk to us, in this area of our lives and how we live, I really believe it will transform you personally and it will also transform church. The truth is we have to learn again how to do church. We don't do it right. We don't. And it's not just glad tidings. I, I think as far as doing it wrong, we do it pretty well compared to a lot of other churches. But I don't want to get to the end of my life and God say, well, you did okay. I, I want, man, we got one shot at this, and I want this to count, and I want our fellowship here to count. And, uh, and so in Acts 2, we get, we get an idea, we get a description of, of really what church is supposed to look at. So before I actually get into it, let me kind of give you the context. As, as Pentecostals, we, we, we should know this, but, but this basically takes place right after Pentecost. Before, after Jesus, before Jesus ascends into heaven, he says to his disciples, hey, go and, and, and stay in Jerusalem. Don't leave there until 
you receive the promised gift from my Father, which will come. And so the day of Pentecost comes, and, and uh, they're baptized uh, in the Holy Spirit, and they're speaking in other tongues. And, and, uh, and some of the Jews that were there see this happening, and they're astonished, and they think, hey, what is going on? Why are these people drunk? And, 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 and Peter gives the first like salvation message in history, and he says, these people are not drunk. And he explains everything, and he says, man, repent for your sins and be baptized and 3,000, Scripture tells us that 3,000 came to the Lord that day. So it's after this kind of takes place that we pick up in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And this particular uh, part of, of, of this particular passage is actually given the title, The Fellowship of the Believers. So in this we can see kind of what begins to happen. This is the beginning of the church. So, so how does the church really function? How does it look? How are they living? How are they moving? And in this we get this idea. We get this, basically this instruction for how we are supposed to live as well. Acts chapter 2. Verses 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I want to ask you, what, what do you see happening in this passage? And you can respond to me this morning. You guys should be more awake than first service. What do we see happening here? They're gathering together, all right? They're, they're sharing, all right? Anybody else? What's that? Yep, they, they, they're becoming a family. They're devoting themselves. So we see this. The first thing we see is that they are devoting themselves to teaching, to the apostles' teaching. They're devoting themselves to prayer. They're devoting themselves to fellowship with one another. And all this is taking place as they break bread together and they are in the temple courts together. But it's not just the temple courts that they're in together. They are in each other's homes. And so what's happening is relationship is forming. And, 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 and so they, they come together like, man, we have something in common. Like, John, it's me. We got this thing together. I'm picking on John. Poor John. He's never going to sit here again. It's like, we're going to run together now. John, we got saved. And, man, let's learn more about this together. And let's hang together. And what are you doing for dinner? Let's just eat together. And, and then as I'm eating with John, I feel like John, like John is struggling in this area. And, it's, and, and, and John has this need. And, and, and as I realize, man, John's got this need. I got this stuff over. I'm not even using, I can get rid of this and, and try to help him out. And so what happens is this family is being formed based on a common bond and a common unity. And so what we see is, man, fellowship. Fellowship. Fellowship begins with fellowship with God. Everything for Christian fellowship flows out of one thing, your fellowship with God. This is why we're going to talk about this in detail next week. Your fellowship with God. So your fellowship with God will lead to fellowship with other things. Fellowship with God, fellowship with his gospel, fellowship with other people. 
is why God says, man, if you have real fellowship with me, you can't walk past your neighbor in need. Real fellowship means understanding, means unity, means a bond. So fellowship means something common. Community, common unity. We have something in common. Isn't it interesting that in this church, you can look around this church and you can go, man, there are people from so many different countries, so many different thought patterns, so many different cultures, so many different ways of life. But what brought us here this morning? Common unity. Common bond. You're here this morning because we have something in common. As different as we may be, we have something in common. And that, that unity, that common bond brings us together. All our differences, man, some of you are weird, right? Hey, listen, you're thinking the same thing about me, and it's okay. Like, we're weird. We're different. It's not bad. It's just different. You know what's cool is that as Christians, our weirdness doesn't keep us apart if we're real Christians. That means, man, you can eat food that I wouldn't even go near and and vice versa. Yeah, we can come together because I love Jesus Christ and you love Jesus Christ. And because I love him and you love him, man, I kind of have the same passion and purpose and drive and same goals and same, like, I've got to go this way. Like, you may eat crazy stuff and I don't want to eat that, but we'll go this way together. Eat your food. I'll eat mine. We'll just walk this way together and we'll just hang together because, man, we like the same things, community, fellowship, you know Really, in, in a really generic, simple way, that's breaking down fellowship for you. You know what's happened in the church today? This is now a new fellowship. Hey, stick around after church for some fellowship. Fellowship means crackers and Coke or something, right? Or, or something like, like cake and ice cream. It's like that's how we've changed. So fellowship over time in the church has warped into something it's not. In fact, the way we refer to fellowship is not fellowship at all. Let me tell you what fellowship is not. Fellowship is not a cup of coffee. Fellowship is not a football game. Fellowship is not about a certain event. Fellowship starts with common passion, common bond. Real fellowship can take place around a cup of coffee as long as it's not superficial, as long as it's not shallow. And so what happens in the church today, unfortunately, and and, and we're no different really from this, is because we get so busy, we've got so many things going on, we don't have time for deep and real fellowship. And so when we pass each other in the hall, we go, hey, how are you? I know you don't have time to hear how I really am, and I don't have time to tell you, so I'm good. I'm good. And I'm, the other person is really relieved to hear you say that because they don't have time to hear you say anything else. Because if you go, I'm not so good, they're like, yeah, okay, I'll pray for you. And they walk on. Isn't it sad where church has kind of gone? Because, see, if we really look at this, too, this is not what we see in Acts 2. And so the reason why this is important, I, I really believe, guys, if, if you will allow God to speak to you and you will really let God grab your heart with this as I let God grab my heart, and the leadership of this church lets God grab our hearts. This will transform us as a church. Guys, this church is not mine. It's not Deacon Boar's. I say this all the time because you've got to know. This has got nothing to do with someone's agenda. I did not die for this church. He did. It's his. It's not mine. All right? The minute I try and act like it's mine, I'm in trouble. No one loves you more than he all right? This is his. 
is this sacred ground? And, and we got to make sure that we really, if this is his church, we really have to be intentional about making sure we're living and moving forward as a church the way God wants us to. Either if we're not, it's just a game. I mean, if we're really going to be here, we're really about God, then it's really important for us to grab hold and say, okay, God, if this is yours, then it's really important for me to understand how you want yours to look. Otherwise, we might as well just quit. Here's what we're not about. We're not about the latest trends. I, I really could care less about what every other church is doing. I really want to know what God wants us to do. We're not about fancy this and being a cutting edge anything. Man, I, just God, what do you want to do here? And when you ask yourselves those kinds of questions, you, you have to look at where you really are. This really, or this attitude or this practice really should be alive and well in your individual lives. It is in mine, as, as painful as it is, because I really want to be the man of God that he wants me to be, and I fall far short from that. But because I want to be, I will have real conversations with myself, and they are painful where I'll go, okay, it's not selling what people think you are, it's who you really are. And so I'll sit there and I'll look at myself. I could care less if everybody thinks, oh, it feels really good when everybody thinks I'm just some great person. But when I go, no, hold on, Selwyn, this is really, who are you really? Because you know your heart. And then when I dig up that stuff and say, okay, God, this is just, uh, unfortunately, I wish it was the case. This is the nastiness of who I am. But God, because I want to be the person, first of all, the husband that God wants me to be, the father, I want to have the relationship with him, and I want to be the pastor he wants me to be, then I have to be real and go, okay, God, let's dig this thing up. And yes, this is ugly and I don't like it, but I want to be real and, and I want to really go where you want me to go. I don't have time to play a game. So here's the ugliness, God. Help me with this. And so how, uh, if you don't have that kind of relationship, you really need to. If you don't think you need to have that relationship, you think you're good, then you really do need to have this because you're not as good as you think you are. All right? Honestly, the healthiest thing you can do is be real with yourself. And so a as a leadership team, as, as pastors, we looked at this, and I went to the board a few months ago, and, and I just said, you know what, we're really struggling, and they know this. I wasn't telling them anything that we didn't, we, they don't know. We're saying, you know, one of the things that we struggle with as a church is, is fellowship. How, how do we fix this? You know, as the church continues to grow, you know, we've pl we, we're, we're kind of stuck right now and because we, we, we're kind of full in both services we, and, and parking and all these kinds of things, and we really want to find a bigger building. So if we do this and God provides for us, this problem is only going to grow if we keep going about church the way we're going about church, which it really is the wrong way, okay? So how do we fix this? Because the reality of it is, is we have time, oh, this person feels left out. This person feels disconnected. This person was sick and didn't have anybody. And this person, and we're failing here, and we didn't know about this person. And how do we do this? This person's in the outskirts, and we haven't realized for three weeks because we didn't know. And man, how can we, and the, how can we fix this? And the temptation, these are great ideas, but the reality of it is they're surface level. The idea is, is man, we can give someone a call. And five minutes isn't fellowship on a phone call. We can go and have a cup of coffee, and honestly, even the greatest cup of coffee after church, honestly, unless you just take really a real amount of quality time, that becomes surface level too. So we've got to get beyond this. Look, real fellowship isn't a cup of coffee. Real fellowship isn't a phone call. Real fellowship is doing life together. Doing life together. And what we see in Acts 2 is exactly that. A family developing. People begin to live life together. A lot of times we go, man, this sounds creepy. 
you know, I don't have time for this or whatever. But the reality of it is, if we're going to be the people that God wants us to be, we've got to get this right. So how do we do life together? You know, it's interesting to me that Jesus is not interested in us having a head knowledge of him. Right? If I say, hey, what does salvation look like? What are you going to respond to me? What is salvation? Is salvation a head knowledge of God or what? It's a what? It's the R word. It's something you have with your spouse. Relationship. Right? I want Lori to have more than that. Yeah, she knows of me. You know? Listen, if Lori only has a head knowledge of me and I have a head knowledge of her, guess what? Our marriage is not going to go anywhere. What Jesus wants from us, from his people, is a relationship. You know, when I was dating Lori, I was pretty intentional about my relationship with her. If I wasn't intentional about my relationship with her, we probably wouldn't have had a relationship and wouldn't be here today. And I think if you go back to your spouse or whatever courting relationship, and you've been pretty intentional about people you've wanted to get to know. And honestly, in your intentionality about relationships, you've probably made some sacrifices. Man, you've probably walked away from, from, from some football games to go, oh, this person's kind of important right now. And I, I, I place them on a higher level. I want to go after this. Ladies, you've probably done the same things. And so we become intentional about things that are important with us. And so the, the same thing is true with God. If you're going to have a relationship with God, then it m involves you being intentional about what you're doing, doesn't it? See, really, relationship looks like sacrifice. And if I'm going to spend time with Lori, there's some things that I'm going to spend not doing. All right? The things that I step away from. And so relationship, relationship is very important. Jesus says to us too. Jeremiah 29, 11, it actually goes on. We say, we love that, that, that passage because it says, God says to us, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, right? You guys should probably finish it for me. What is it? Plans to prosper you, right? Not to harm you, to give you hope and a future, all right? And, and we kind of end it there. But it goes on to say, when you seek me with all of your heart, and I'm paraphrasing, I will be found by you. When you seek me with all of your heart. That doesn't sound like a casual seeking. That sounds like an intentional seeking. When I'm seeking Lori with all of my heart, I, she's, she's got my undivided attention. I am focused. I am moving. I'm not distracted. I know where I'm going. I know what I want to get or what I want to do. And so he said, when you, when you seek me with all of your heart, I will be found by you. And then he goes on to say, and I will bring you back from exile. I will bring you back, and I'm just putting today's terms, maybe I'll bring you back from the loneliness or the abandonment or the rejection or whatever it is that you're feeling. I will restore you. I will bring you back. But it, it begins with an intentional seeking of God, doesn't it? I have to be intentional about it. I'm not going to just have a casual relationship and just go, oh, you know, yeah, you know, me and God. No, listen, if you have that, you don't know God. He wants relationship. And if he wants relationship with us and him, he's also calling for the same relationship here in this church, in his church. Is relationship one way? No. If relationship is one way, relationship doesn't last very long, does it? Is it Lori's job to always be intentional about coming and talking and making time with me while I sit back? No. I need to be intentional, and she needs to be intentional. And so likewise in the church, we both need to be intentional about fellowship. This is not something that's, 
led from the pastors and board down. It's something that's led down and also the congregation leads up and, and, and they come together. That means that we as a leadership team need to be intentional about, hey, we've got to make sure that we are doing everything we can to have fellowship. And, and likewise, the people that, that attend this church, the congregation say, man, I need to be intentional about being where I need to be. And, and, and both of that means sacrifice on both sides. That means that if we're going to be a church that God calls us to be, if we're going to be in fellowship, real fellowship, real unity, real common bond, real common purpose, that means that sacrifice has to be made on your part and on our part. That we need to come together and go, okay, man, this is real. This is what God's called us to be. And, and I don't, I'm not interested in playing a game, but I want to I move forward in the kingdom of God. And I want to move this church forward. And I want to be about him. And so, God, what do you want me to do? And as we've looked at this as a church, as you look at community, and actually we actually brought it to the, the leadership group that we did um, in October and I told them then that I would be bringing it to the church, and I'm bringing it up now because we're going to be going towards small groups in about four weeks, is, is I want people to understand why we do what we're doing right now about small groups. Because the reality of it is, is this. Guys, this church is not built on the person who stands behind that pulpit. Too many churches are built on that. It's got nothing to do with me. I understand the person behind that is important, and I know it's a God-given role, and I'm not taken away from it, but this is not my church. It's his, and God has placed you here. When churches are built on people, when people leave, they fall apart. God help me if I, when I leave this place, this place falls apart, because guess what? I've built it on the wrong person. That's not supposed to be that. I know, hey, I like the way this person speaks, I like the way, I, I get all that. But man, the church exists. You are the church. You live. God's called you not just to attend a service together, but to live in community with one another. That means, man, if we do church right, it's not my relationship with you individually. It's your relationship with each other. That we come together and we praise God together. And what happens is pastors begin to go, man, i got to have a relationship with everybody. And I've got to do this, and I've got to do that. And likewise, the congregation feels like, man, that pastor's going to have a relationship with me. And if he doesn't, then we feel, that's not the way it's supposed to be. Do you realize it says they didn't meet in the apostles' homes daily and break bread. They met in each other's homes. They were with each other. The reality of it is, is it is impossible. If we had seven pastoral staff and every deacon was going, we could not meet with everybody. Because the truth is this, it was never meant to be that way. It's supposed to be this way. It's supposed to be, we are a royal priesthood. That means you have responsibility in the kingdom of God. You have responsibility to the person sitting to your right and to your left. And what happens in church is, is we get into this selfish mode. We don't mean to get there. But honestly, in many ways, it's led by other people. And so, man, we've got to realize that, man, we've got to come together. We've got to realize, man, this body... We're one. You know when Paul comes in, in, in Corinthians, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we talk about this in communion. Every time we do communion, we go, basically, man, we're supposed to be one in, in unity. He actually says in Corinthians, if you have anything against your brother, go make it right before you come and take this because we are one body. We are together. 
We are dependent on each other. All through the Bible, you can see, man, you, one is an arm, one is a leg. We are different body parts. We need each other. You can't exist by yourself, but the reality of church is it's a picture of body parts living by themselves and trying to survive. And guess what? They don't make it very long. And the truth is this. When we step back and we look at glad tidings, we say, okay, what's, what's happening? Where are we really? What we see is that. We see individual body parts trying to make it by themselves. And in some areas we can go, well, let's try and go get that body part and bring them back in. And some areas we can say, man, we dropped the ball. We should have never let that body part get that far away. Somehow we missed it. Let's go and get them. But the reality of it is also that that body part needs to say, I want to be a part as well. It's got to be every single way. If an individual chooses not to be at something, there's no way you can bring them in. And so this has got to be intentional from the leadership, but it's also going to be intentional from the body as well. We are str- God has put us here together for each other. And so what happens is this. Unfortunately, we go, man, we see, you know, there's this person, they're feeling disconnected. It's been four weeks since we've seen this person. We didn't even realize it. And then we go, and this person has been sick, and we didn't even know. And, and this person is this. And what happens is we have all these people going through life hurting by themselves. And, and honestly, it's, it's simply because we don't know each other. We have a head knowledge of each other. We don't know, know each other. And then when we get prayer requests, so many of them come in from, hey, this detailed prayer request signed anonymous. Because I don't trust anyone to know what it is. And honestly, for good reason. For good reason, because some people do not protect prayer requests. They can use it as a form of gossip and try and make it spiritual. And so this is what happens. Let me ask, if Jesus was standing right here, would you put a hood over your face when you went up to talk to him and say, here's my prayer request, but I don't even know it's me? No. You'd be like, no, I want you to know my name. I want you to know me. I want you to know. And so the reality of it is, is this. I understand. I'm not attacking. I understand. But what's sad is that, is that because fellowship has been redefined in the church as the church grows and grows and grows and gets further and further along, it's become shallower and more narrow and surface level and doesn't look anything like really what God has for us. And it's not the way he called us to live. So what happens if we really hear from God? Because, see, this is an act because he wants us to know it. And so we say, we're a God that's, we're a church that wants to be after God, and we're a church that really wants to run this way and, and, and do this, but then, but then we don't really come together. And see, when we've done small groups in the past, guys, I'm not picking on you, all right? Everybody thinks I'm picking on them, but I'm not trying to pick on you. But this is what I hear from a lot of different people, and it's the truth. They determine whether they go or do not go to a small group on whether or not it's beneficial to them as an individual. This is how it looks, all right? Number one, okay, do I have anything else going on that night? Number two, do I like the topic? All right? A lot of times we get, yeah, I don't think so. Or I've already done that. I don't need to go. In fact, I wish they had a different topic. You know, they always have this. I want this topic instead. And, you know, and based on how they answer those questions and, and their responses to those determines whether they come or not. Can I tell you something? That is the most selfish way you can live your life as a Christian. It really is a picture of infancy as a Christian. 
Because what babies do is they take and they take and they take and they never give back. They never receive. Babies will scream in the middle of the night to wake you up because they want something. They don't give back a whole lot. And what we tell people when it happens is we say this, guys, listen, you are missing the concept of what's happening here. And this is why I'm preaching this. I want everybody to understand the purpose of what we do and why we do it. Can I tell you one of the least important things about your small group is the topic that you're doing. It has very little to do with what you are learning. It has everything to do with you coming together with other people. And if you feel like you've already arrived in that subject, maybe, just maybe, God is saying it's time you start teaching and leading and not just receiving. And maybe God is putting you there because he wants someone. He has someone in there that you need to pour from your past experiences into. And so when we say, oh, I've been there, I've done that, I don't need this. Our selfish attitudes can deprive somebody else of what God is trying to do. And so we start saying, oh, let me find what is for me. What is, let me, let me, what is best for me? What can I do for me? How is it going to benefit me? And honestly, that attitude just begins to destroy the church, and Satan loves it. Loves it. You know, the Bible is filled with one another's. One another's. And see, this is why when you say, man, when you have that kind of attitude, you need to check your relationship with God. You see, your relationship with God, fellowship with God is common unity, common bond. But when you have a common bond with Christ, you have a common bond with his heart, and he has a heart that laid down his life for others that others would live. And so when that, doesn't, is that, when that kind of attitude is not reflected in your life and the way you live, you have to realize, you have to really go back and go, do I really have a common bond with who he is? Guys, this isn't someone's words, this is scriptural. So what he says, he says, how can you say you know God and you walk by someone in need? You know, we talk about the Good Samaritan. We go, man, the priest, Levi, oh, how could they walk by that person? Guys, we do it in church all the time. All the time. And what it is, is whole, I got too much going on. I don't have time to stop. I'm too busy. And sometimes it's serving the Lord. I'm too busy running to this ministry. I'm too busy doing that. And we will walk by people who are really hurting because of ministry. Or something that maybe sounds super spiritual. I want to tell you, it's not spiritual at all. And this is what God, and this is what Jesus hated about the Pharisees. It was all head knowledge and nothing flowed out of it. And so as we look at this, we go, okay, man, guys, how, how, do, we, how do we live like this? How do we make this better? And so what, what we're doing is this. Guys, my goal is that, is, 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 is that this church will become more united and more strong within each other. Right? My goal is that you will begin to lift each other up. Listen, at some point, I'm either going to die or God's going to move me on. And same with Rennie and same with everybody else. And, and so, so the church is about each other. It's not about me. I should be able to be out of here next week and somebody else walk into this and everybody go, man, <laughs> well, yeah, it's nice that someone was there. Hopefully you'll say that. Um, maybe you won't. But, but, but. You, you guys fellowship with each other. And it's like, man, no, I have, I have bonds with these people. I do life with these people. I'm not going to fall apart because the speaker changes or, or whatever. We have unity. We have a common bond. And, folks, we've got to be intentional about that. So when we go forward with small groups, what we've done, and you're going to have a chance to sign up in the next few weeks, is this. We've got about six, seven, or eight. <laughs> One of those. And we're trying to get more. And we've got different things, all right? 
We've got from, from ping pong to, to Bible study to, to all kinds of different things, all right? And here's our heart behind it. Our heart is, is this. We come together. We have a common unity in an activity, something that, hey, we, both, we all enjoy this activity or we all enjoy this kind of thing, and we come together. And in time, as we be intentional about this, it starts with prayer, it ends with prayer. We begin to build relationship with each other, real relationship not surface level, all right? And, 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 and as we build real relationship with each other, we begin trusting each other. When we begin trusting each other, we begin opening up to each other. And when that begins to happen, guess what? You're there and you're with Rob and you're like, man, Rob, I had no idea you were going through that. And, and man, I'm going to be praying. And all of a sudden, before long, not because I'm, no, it's time to call Rob, it's Tuesday. It's Man, I'm really thinking about Rob this week, and I know he's going. Let me just call him. And before long, he's getting calls from six or seven people, and maybe none of them are the pastor. But he feels so connected, so united, because, man, his, man he's being prayed for. He's being lifted up. And maybe there's somebody who goes, man, you've got a need for this. Man, I've got one of these. And all of a sudden, within a small group like this, people begin to, you're the royal priesthood. You're carrying each other. You're linking arms together. And when the time the pastor gets here, like, yeah, it's nice you showed up. It's great. And yeah, I'll take prayer, but man, I'm already being prayed. Guess what? Can I tell you? This is already happening in this church. It's already happening. One of the things, I, as I've been studying and, and looking at this too, I, I've been learning some things. One of the things I said to the board, I said, it's interesting that, that we don't have cliques in this group, but we definitely have groups in this church. And you know what the groups are? The people that serve together. It just happens. What I find is this, is the people that are serving together end up having relationship together because they're always working together. Do you know that they say real fellowship flows from God in service of God? And in fact, they say, you can't really have real fellowship unless you're serving. Because God is a server. And so fellowship with God looks like serving. And so it was interesting when I read that, I thought, man, this makes perfect sense because this is what we see. When you serve with each other, the strongest groups in this church, and I can't tell you how many times this happens. I find out from somebody else, oh, so-and-so is having a hard time. Not in a gossip way. And I go, oh, okay, oh, yeah, we're already praying for them. Oh, this has already happened. I feel about, I hear about stories that have happened and, and things that God is doing. And by the time I get there, man, like the ladies group is so strong in this. They're just, they're just carrying each other. It's beautiful. You know, by the time I get there and pray for them, it's great and it's, and it's nice. But they're like, yeah, but, you know, it's great. I've already surrounded with prayer. I can't tell you one of our, one of our greatest group, groups in this church, our generations group. I am so impressed. Most of them come to our first service. But our generations group, they are leading the way. When I see Acts 2, I see them. They come on Wednesday mornings. And, and they meet together. They are, they are bringing more people to this church than any of our Easter outreaches. They get together, and they hang together, and they pray together. And I'm finding, oh, so-and-so has a need. Oh, we've got it covered. And they work with each other, and they, and they make time, and they're eating in each other's homes. And, man, they've got real fellowship. And guess what? God is adding to their number. I come every Wednesday and go, oh, and they always say, oh, here's so-and-so. We want to meet her. She's from so-and-so. I mean, I'm constantly getting bombarded with new people in their group. And guess what? They're coming to that group first. And so they come to that group, and they make relationship with the people in that group, and they go, man, this feels so good. And next thing I know, they're sitting in the pew. And I just see them sort of racking up. And so the problem with church is we do things on big scale. You know what it is? Hey, let's do an outreach. So we don't have a lot of time. Let's make an Easter outreach, and let's reach all these people. Man, I, I love our outreaches, but you know what makes our outreach successful? 
is not by the people that we get coming to Christ. It's by the people serving together. That's what makes our outreach successful. That, that is what makes it worth it to me. It's not because we have an overwhelming number of people. Because I love seeing 80 to 100 people of GT come together and serve the community together. That's the win for me. I don't expect to get people from the community coming in here. Because you know what? Real outreach to people doesn't take place with 1,300 people to 2,000 people. We're looking at, we had 1,300 people last year. The Easter outreach, we're looking at having almost 2,000. It grew by 500 last year. Can I tell you, Generations is more effective than that outreach is for bringing people in. And so will your small group. Why? It's because it's about individual relationship. Relationship, relationship, relationship. I don't build relationship on the field for two hours on Easter Sunday. But when we start operating like God wants us to operate, guess what? You're in a, in a group, and all of a sudden, hey, I'm playing ping pong. And people go, oh, ping pong, that's so unspiritual. Are you kidding me? Ping pong could lead someone to eternal life. Do you know why? If it's done right. If it's done right. I mean, we laugh. It sounds funny. It's the truth. Your hobby, if done right, can lead someone to Christ. Some people are, are more afraid of coming to a Bible study than they are to ping pong. You know what I'm saying? And so when you say, hey, let's just get, we're playing ping pong, they come together and they start building friends. And all of a sudden, they're building friends with about seven guys that go to this church that love Christ. And before, guess what? Before long, they're just talking. Oh, you really? Well, I always had this concern. They don't feel threatened. And before long, well, I think I might come to church. And when they do come to church, they're coming with seven of their friends, not individually by themselves. See, I think God knew what he was doing. You know? Isn't it interesting how we, how, how, but the thing is, what happens is we run out of time. And so we do things bigger, larger scale. Let's have fellowship. Let's have 100 people in the room and call it fellowship. Guys, it's a gathering. It's not really fellowship. And we try to do it. And it's important for us to come together. But I want to tell you, real fellowship, see, real fellowship, we get past the superficial level. Real fellowship, you get past the plastic. Real fellowship, you begin to say, man, this is just really where I am. And you know what? You have to be careful who you share that with. You do. See, small groups doesn't make it go away. And some of you who go around telling everybody's problems, you'll stand before God one day. You've got to be careful with what people trust you with. You, you, you take that information carefully and you pray for them. You lift them up. You don't run them down. And so if we're going to be at, at the, the church that God has called us to, we've got to get this right. And so as we sign up for small groups and look at this, I really want you, I'm challenging you. Man, if you go, I don't, if after this message, if you can go, I'm not sure I want to do this topic, then you haven't heard anything. Okay? It's got nothing to do with it, not nothing to do with the topic, but it's not as important as what takes place in that group. And guess what? It means that you might have to sacrifice. It means that you might not have to watch that favorite show. You might have to record it. Or it means that, man, there's some things that you're going to have to make time. Guess what? I sacrifice if I'm going to have a relationship with God. I get less sleep sometimes. I, I don't do some other things that I kind of wanted to do. My day gets very full. And sometimes my devotion can be jeopardized by my ministry because i got too much to do. And so we all have to sacrifice. But guess what? God says it's important. We don't want to stand before God having this, this spiritual life that had no relationship with anybody else. He's going to say, you, had, you did not know me. Because if you knew me, you'd understand how important relationship is. And so what do we do with this? How do we move forward with this? And here's the end of it. The end of it is basically this. 
Whether this runs or whether this doesn't run depends on how myself and our team carry this out and how you respond. This is what we're going to do and what we are doing. We're doing our best to give opportunity for people to come together. All right? How we expect you to respond is for you to be intentional and sacrifice to make sure you're at some of these groups. And some of you are going to say, man, I don't know if I want to do this. I don't want Listen to me. Listen to me. Do you realize that a prayer that you may be praying for for two years could be answered like this because of fellowship? I'm going to tell you two stories, and I'm going to close, okay? Real stories right here. And I thank God for these people because they gave me permission to share them, all right? I don't think they wanted to initially. But let me tell you, your praise reports don't belong to you. They belong to this here. And when you keep them from this here, you're really disrespecting God. You really are. Your praise reports belong here. But you know why? Because your praise reports builds the person to the left and to the right. It's not about you. It's not about you. And so I praise God for these people. Some of you guys know Biff. Cindy's husband. Well, Cindy, you better raise your hand. She's like, he's my husband. All right. Biff, Biff, Biff. Um, and Derek, you guys know Derek Pond. Derek had been out of work for about two years. And uh, he's a sheet metal worker. And uh, was kind of struggling, been praying or whatever. Well, last year at the men's retreat, Biff, I think Biff was there for maybe his first time. First time, comes to the men's retreat. And it was actually cool. It, was, it, was, it wasn't during a spiritual session. It wasn't while they were in devotion together. You know what? I was actually with them and I was walking down to the lake with them because Derek loves to fish. And Biff's a huge outdoors guy. We were just walking down. And you know what happened? Biff says to Derek, so what do you do for work? You know, just casual. And Biff goes, well, I mean, Derek says, well, I'm actually out of work right now. He says, I, I'm a sheet metal worker, and I'm with the union. I haven't worked for two years. And Biff said, really? He said, yeah. He said, well, what union? And, and Derek told him. Biff says to him, you'll be working Monday. I just gave him a $5 million contract, and you'll be working Monday. Two years. Out of work. Let me, let me just back this up. Let's just go back and rewind. Back when Biff was making a decision. Do I want to go to this retreat? I don't even like New Hampshire. I prefer Maine. What's the topic? Oh, when it comes to prayer, I'm golden. I know the, all there is to know about prayer. I'm good. Or what if Derek? Yeah, I don't like going up there and hanging out with people. It's kind of weird. I, I'd rather be fishing back home. I could probably catch more fish home than I can up in New Hampshire. Guess what? If any of those thought processes had prevailed, would there have been an answered prayer? So what happened was they said, you know, common bond, common unity. Man, let's go. It's not about me. It's about getting together with other men and praising God. And so we come together, and fellowship happens. And guess what? Chances are Biff and Derek knew each other when they are walking out of this church. They probably wouldn't have said, so, Derek, what do you do for work? No, they're like, hey, how are you? Oh, I'm good. Haven't worked in two years, but I'm good. And walked out. But when you have time together and fellowship together, and you actually have real conversation, guess what? You know, it amazes me that every time we do men's retreat and women's retreat, the women come back and say this, and Dave LeBeau, you want to see David Lebeau excited? See him after small groups at men's retreat. Every year, I know what he's, he comes to me and says the exact same thing. He goes, oh, and the small groups, they were amazing. It's like God put, I, he says this every year. And I love it because it's true. It's like God put people together. All we did was write down numbers 
as I got to the numbers and placed them where they needed to be when those groups came together, guess what? People struggling with similar circumstances came together and talked, and they helped each other. The ladies come back and tell me, you think God's not in this? I'll tell you another story. Some of you guys know Stella. She's from Uganda, and Kathy Loud, all right? Um, you know what? We're a church, but it's so easy for us to be stuck in our own cultures. It's so easy to be stuck with our own friends in different ways that we don't, we sometimes, we, you know, it's not that we don't love each other, we do, but sometimes we just get stuck. I think we're all guilty of that. But what was so cool is that, is that they were having a yard sale for Haiti. This is not too long ago. They're having a yard sale for Haiti, and, and Stella was going through an incredibly difficult situation in her life. And she's giving permission to say this, all right? A really difficult situation. I mean, she's just struggling. And she went to this yard sale and met Kathy Loud there, all right? Their paths probably wouldn't necessarily have crossed. And if they had crossed, it may have been surface level, all right? And they come and they start talking. Turns out Kathy's gone through the exact same thing years ago. And it was something that almost destroyed Kathy. And Kathy struggled and just wrestled with it. And, and Kathy was able to use her misery to minister to Stella. And Stella actually turned around and said, man, if it wasn't for you, I don't know where I'd be. And because of God helping you, I know I'm going to be fine. And they have become so close and so tight. And it is so beautiful. Let me tell you. It doesn't matter if I'm standing up here or anyone else standing up there. They have the body of God working together. They're like, man, this is my sister in Christ. This is my brother in Christ. And I have such unity because they've walked with me. We've locked arms and God put us together. And so she's, they're doing well and, and, and things are going incredibly well. Because of fellowship, common bond, common unity. Let's go and let's do something for Haiti. Not for myself, for Haiti. And God puts it together. When I told Biff I was going to tell his story here, he said, hey, there's another story he's telling. And guess what? It wasn't about him giving out. It was about someone in this church that gave to him that he's told me about and said, man, it's amazing what God did. And it did the same thing. It happened because of fellowship. They happened to be together at the same time. I want to ask you, how long have you been praying for something? How long have you been praying for something and going, God, why won't you answer my prayer? And maybe God's saying the answers sit in the pew behind you, but you don't know them. And so it's right there waiting for you to do what I've called you to do. But because you refuse to have fellowship, because you refuse to know each other. How many, and I thought about this, how many answered prayers are right here? And we don't have them because we're not moving in obedience. And we act as if God doesn't hear us and God doesn't know us. And I mean, how many, you don't have to raise your hand, how many of you are looking for housing? How many of you don't have a job? How many of you are struggling? And you go, oh God, I want a prophet to walk up to me and just go, God told me. And he goes, you know, I just want you to make friends with somebody. No, but seriously, we think it's spiritual. And God goes, no, just, just get up and, and, and quit watching TV and go hang out with the person that you don't think you have anything in common with. And I'm going to do a miracle. I'm going to use my people, like I told them, like, like, like I said I would, to answer your prayers just through their lives. But selfishness rules our lives and destroys our church and keeps us from hearing from God and moving in God. Do you know why? Because we put ourselves first without realizing when we do that, we're actually destroying ourselves and what God wants to do in us. Why does he say, consider others better than yourself? Lay your lives down for other people. Well, what's in it for me? Glad tidings, we have a choice. It's either about you or it's about somebody else. But I read a Bible that says, seek first my kingdom. And I know your needs. And I will supply your needs. Seek first 
my kingdom. His kingdom is about people. His kingdom is about relationships. He is big on relationships. When we seek our own kingdoms first, we deny him, and we walk alone. I don't want to walk alone. I don't want us to walk alone. Guys, there's no way this pastor or any of the board can do this in everyone's home, but we can do this together. We can do this together. And when we live this way, people will come and they will see this church and go, this is a little weird, but man, it's cool to see people really care. And the way they care for each other, nobody else is doing this, but I can kind of see a picture of Jesus when I see that because he did the same thing. And although it's weird, I think I want to be part of this because this is genuine and this is real. And this is the circle. Guys, you do not have a perfect pastor. If you want a perfect pastor, go to a different church because he's not here. Okay? I'm going to make plenty of mistakes. We're learning this as well. I want to change. I want to move us forward. I want us to go forward together. And we can do this together. But in the end, the question is what will you do with it? I've told you what we're doing. I've told you where we're going. I've told you why we're going there, and I'm telling you, it's what he has for us. Now what do you do with it? And what you do with it has a drastic effect on the person sitting next to you and your own life. It's not about you. It's not about me. You may not even want to do this. You may not even like the movie we're watching. It just come. It's not really about the movie. You may not even like the breakfast that we serve. Just come. And be there. You may, it may be awkward for you. You may go like, man, I, I, I just don't have time. Make time. Come. If you can't be at everything, that's fine. But come to most of them. Come and be a part. I tell people, we don't have cliques. We want you to be part of the clique. The only cliques we have of anything are people that work together. And that's open. We're always saying, come work with us. Come be with us. We have common unity, common bond, common passion, common purpose. Guess what? Fellowship happens. I want to close with these words here. These are the words from Paul. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, he says this, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Those are Paul's words to you. Those are Christ's words to you. And they're Christ's words to me. Will you stand to your feet and let's pray. Well, Jesus, we just come before you and God, we ask you to forgive us. God, I ask you to forgive us for our selfish ways. I ask you to forgive us, Lord God, for dethroning you and enthroning ourselves. I ask you to forgive us for considering ourselves better than other people. I ask you to forgive us for putting our needs and our wants above other people's needs and wants. For all of our selfishness, we haven't been the church you've called us to be. We ask you to forgive us for that. God, we want to change. We want to be a church that brings glory to your name. We want to be a church that loves each other. We want to be a church that we can trust each other, Lord God. God, we want to be a church that really is a picture of you, that doesn't just proclaim your name, 
God, we want to be a church where people walk and they hear, God, they don't just sense you, but they see you and how we move and how we act and how we love each other. But God, in order for that to happen, we've got to change. You've got to do a work in us. And so we surrender our hearts to you this morning. Say, God, would you do surgery on me? God, would you change my wicked ways? God, would you change my heart? God, would you help me not to be so critical? God, would you help me to love more? God, would you help me to see these people through your eyes? God, would you help me to see the people around me in this world through your eyes? God, would you help me dethrone myself and really enthrone you, Lord Jesus? God, would, there are things in, in me that, that want me to pull back and shrink back from what you call me to do. God, would you challenge me? God, would you convict me? And Holy Spirit, would you give me strength to be that man, to be that woman that you've called me to be, that I can truly run where you want me to run. God, I don't want to walk. I don't want to crawl. I want to run where you want me to go, Lord God. I want to live lead a passionate life for you. God, I want people's lives to be transformed because of what you've done in me, Lord God. I want to share my life. God, I want to share my testimonies, God, with everyone around me, God. God, let me be a picture of your grace and your love and your mercy and your faithfulness. God, I pray, God, would you do it in this church? God, I pray that there'd be nobody in this church that would feel alone, nobody that would feel pushed to the side, God. God, as we move forward, we present these opportunities. God, would you lead us? Would you guide us? Would you guide every step as a leadership team that we take, Lord God? But God, would you guide the, the hearts of your people in this place, Lord God, to be intentional about coming out and loving. God, even if they, they don't have a great experience the first time, God, let us never give up, Lord Jesus. And God, we thank you, Lord Jesus that you know the needs that we have. God, you know the details of every need, of every sickness, of every burden. God, of every joblessness, of every heartache, of every broken marriage, of every broken family. God, you know all of them, but your word says when we seek first your kingdom, God, you will take care of every need we have. We trust you with that, Lord God. Help us to really love, not just you, Lord God, but love others as you love us. In Jesus' name. Altars are open. We love you guys. Go Pats.